be willing to take a risk as well. Um, you know, there was, there was no guarantee in those early years that uh, the initiative would be successful, that we'd be sustained, that we'd grow. Mm. Um, in many cases, that's still the case. Um, but actually, it's um, it's not taking a risk and failing that God frowns upon. It's, it's simply not taking a risk for the sake of the gospel and his glory in the first place that uh, is the thing that isn't good. Welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. Uh, my name's Phil Topham. I'm executive director of the FIEC. And with me today uh, is Mark Selby. Uh, hello, Mark. Hi. Uh, Mark, just tell us, first of all, a little bit about uh, where you're ministering. Just tell us about you. Yeah, great. Okay, so uh, I'm ministering in a place called Hilton, uh, which is just to the south of Derby. It's a, um, a large village separated from Derby, but only a sort of 10 minute drive into Derby itself. Mm. Um Used to be, I think, quite a quaint, pretty old village. Uh, it's now a, a large, sprawling, modern housing estate. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we are. We moved there about uh, eight and a half years ago. Uh, name of the church, Mark? Uh, so the name of the church is Grace Church Hilton. Fantastic. And yeah. you're reaching this kind of new housing estate in this part of, of Hilton. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Fantastic. Yeah. We're going to think in this episode a bit about what it means to support ministries like that in kind of smaller communities. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just really fascinating to think about the model that you followed to plant this church. And we'll, mm. we'll get into all that as we talk together. Uh, first of all, just tell us a bit about Derbyshire more widely. What, what's yeah, okay. it like as a place to, to, to live and, yeah, and sure. minister in? Great. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Derbyshire, really. I grew up in Derby, um, went away for university and um, training and things like that uh, as well. But um, yeah, I like Derbyshire. Um, it's got the Peak District just on the doorstep. There's lots of nice countryside to explore. Um, you get uh, Derby itself. Uh, you've got big industries there. You've got the railways. You've got mm. Rolls-Royce. You've got JCB, which isn't in Derby, but it's, it's not far from where we are. Um, so there's quite a few larger companies that employ people around us uh, in in our part of Derby um, itself, yeah. And what sort of size is Hilton? Uh, and where are those people who have, have moved there to this new housing estate? Yeah. Where are they working in that sure. kind of context? Yeah, okay, yeah. So Hilton itself is a population of around about 9,000 people. Um, there's more houses being built at the moment. There's um, a large Ministry of Defence base that was there. That's The land's all been bought and it's now been built on. Um and most people would travel to to Derby, to Rolls Royce, to the railways, um, or over towards Utoxeter to JCB. Um, the majority of people in our village are uh, are families, uh, working professionals. Um, Hilton has the the largest primary school in Derbyshire, hmm. uh, which kind of gives you a, an impression of the the demographics, really. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of families with uh, children, and um, yeah trained people um it's quite an affluent area mm. in in that sense um nice houses quite a lot of nice cars that drive past our house hmm. um, <laughs> gives you yeah an idea of, of where we live so a population of 9000 but mm. but distinct you say from from derby itself so yeah. so this is a this is a community that sees itself as separate from kind of the the main town of derby yeah yeah that's right which is i think quite an advantage to us as a church because um We've got a, a geographically defined area that we're we're focused on, that we're trying to get to know people in. And people who live in Hilton will recognise that, yeah, they live in Hilton rather than just a, a suburb of Derby. So, um, yeah, geographically defined, 
uh, countryside surrounding us, but only a, a yeah ten minute drive into Derby itself. What, what I think is fascinating, Mark, you've done some research. So the Office of National Statistics would say that in Britain there are two hundred and twenty places, geographically defined places yeah. like Hilton, yeah. with a population of between five and ten thousand. Yeah. That is a fascinating statistic because that means there are 220 places which perhaps you might think don't quite have the populace to have a a self-supporting church given the statistics of numbers of Christians. So what do we do about that? Yeah, that's right. Well, if, if that's the number of places and then there's thousands of people living in those places, that's a, a huge number of people that need to hear the gospel, need to have a a clear, compelling gospel witnessing church uh, in their area to to serve them and to proclaim the gospel to them. So, um, yeah, one of the things I I'm concerned about and passionate about is um, some of these smaller places across the UK. We need gospel witnessing churches to be in them. If there isn't a church there at the moment doing that work, um, and we yeah we shouldn't forget about some of these smaller population areas and seek to get um yeah christians on the ground churches established in in these smaller areas so so tell me your story how did you mm. come to be planting in hilton which is one of yeah. these you know geographically defined smaller yeah, sure. areas yeah okay great um so previously i was working in an anglican church as a, a youth worker and then assistant minister and Towards the end of that time, I did some more theological training, uh, trained with Porterbrook Seminary, mm. um, which is now Crosslands uh, Seminary. Um, and that, that's really when I first got to hear about and think about the concept of church planting. Um, I hadn't really come across that before, um, but actually through the course of those three years, uh, heard more about it and just recognised the... Um, the worth of church planting in terms of reaching some of these unreached areas, starting churches where there hasn't been a, a clear witness before. Um, and just how, when you do that, that the model normally is people living there as well, being immersed in that community uh, where you're starting a church. So, um, yeah, I became increasingly convinced of the effectiveness of church planting in making the gospel known and the need for planting um, with so many places up and down the UK without these these churches that would be proclaiming the gospel. There's just such a huge need for more plants to happen, more revitalization work to happen as well. Mm. Um, so I wanted to be a part of that. Um, and I, I wanted to be a part of that, even if there weren't perhaps the the normal things or the traditional things in place that normally allow plants to happen. So, so, so what do you mean by that? So you're talking about the traditional planting model, which is, you know, a, a, a group of people go into an area and, and be, begin a work or a pioneer planter goes in and perhaps he, he's funded. You, yeah. You know. sure. what, what model did you follow if it wasn't one of those traditional yeah, models? Yeah. Okay. So I guess when I, when I think about traditional planting, I'm thinking about, um, one sending church, sending uh, several people, maybe 20, 30 people uh, with a, a paid minister to do that and uh, maybe money to, to buy a building or at least rent somewhere uh, for meetings. Um, I'm convinced that if we want to reach more of these places, then we need to be a bit more flexible, a bit more creative, uh, possibly a bit more 
uh, risk taking in order to get bodies on the ground in some of these gospel needy places. Mm. Um, so one big advantage for myself was I was a part of a, uh, a Derby preaching group um, made up of like-minded evangelical churches in Derby. Um, and so I was able to say to them, um, along with Chris, who's my fellow elder, um, we're thinking about church planting. We've seen this area, Hilton, it's a, a huge population without a clear, compelling gospel witness in church. Um, are we the right people to go there? Uh, we're going to largely finance ourselves as uh, individuals, as families, uh, make sure we've got enough income um, that we need. But we we want other churches to stand behind us so that we're uh, we're not just some crazy, unknown cult mm-hmm. or organisation that no one knows anything about. Um, are we the right, right people to do this? Is this the right area to be thinking of? Uh, would you kind of back us and endorse what we're doing, kind of, give your stamp of approval to to what we're seeking to do there in Hilton. So were you already living in Hilton or did you then move into Hilton when you'd identified it as a yeah, place to no, plant? Yeah, no, I was living in Burton at the time. Um, so yeah, we moved into Hilton um, after a year of trying to sell our house, which was mm. a, a hard time. Uh, we'd, we'd made all these plans. We were excited about moving to Hilton and starting to meet people and making the gospel known, uh, but just took a long time to, to sell our house. Um, but yeah, God was in that through that time. We were able to be uh, refreshed and encouraged at uh, one of the churches in Derby that we were part of for that year. Um, and yeah, prepare to formally launch as a plant. Yeah. So you didn't have a, a traditional sending church. You had a group of churches that that, that helped you and, and, and backed yeah. you. And as you, as you said, stood behind you. Yeah, that's right. So how, how did you fund it? How are you funded? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, so for us as a family, we're largely dependent on my wife's salary. Um, Anna works four days a week. And then I get um, a small amount in each month through Stewardship, which is an organisation that uh, collects donations for uh, Christian work, missionary uh, work, and then sends that on to the recipient. Uh, so that helps us too. Um, but largely, yeah, we're, we're self-financing as a family. Um, that's the case for my, my fellow elder as well. Um, and then... The, the Derby churches that stood behind us, they have supported us and helped us financially too um, with um, significant amounts of money, but uh, much lower than you'd normally expect. So our our budget as a year, um, as a church for the year is around £5,000. Wow. Um, and uh, the money that those churches in Derby centres largely gone on rent for the, the rooms we use in the village hall um, and other overheads like insurances and mm. some resources that we need. Um, but we, yeah, we've got a low budget as a church. Uh, we're very grateful for that support from Derby churches, but as individuals, we're, we're largely self-financing. So yeah. people listening to this might be thinking, well, it's all very well for you. Your, your, your wife works, evidently yeah. brings in a, a decent salary that enables you and releases you to, to do the work. Mm. Um, what, what if you're not in that position? What would you? What would happen if, if Anna wasn't working for you, yeah, for example? Sure. Would you just knock it on the head and say, oh, well, this, this isn't for us? Yeah, sure. Yeah, good question. Um, so Anna's work and the, the salary that she has has been great. That's meant that I can give my time through the week um, when Anna's not working, at least, to, to the church work. Um, uh, our children are at school, where so I get between school hours to work on church work. Um, uh, 
But if if that wasn't the case, if Anna's salary wasn't sufficient or Anna wasn't working, then yeah, I'd look to do something else so that I could um, support our family, have the money that we need as a family and still be able to give time to the church. So yeah, I'd I'd look for a part-time job or some kind of work to bring money in as a family so that I could continue to to give my time to the church as well. So you'd look at a kind of bivocational mm. model. What, what what might that kind of look like for folk who are thinking about this sort of church planting? Yeah, sure. Um, so, for example, Chris, my fellow elder, he was working at the University of Derby um, in the library there. Um, that was his part-time employment so that his family had enough money and then the rest of the time he was able to give that to the church. Um, I, I trained in computer science uh, a long time ago um unfortunately my yeah my computer skills haven't stayed current so um yeah i would look for any work that i could really um probably wouldn't be in computing because i don't think i'm trained sufficiently in that now but um yeah whatever work i could find to to keep us going as a family to bring that income in uh which would also allow me to have the time to lead the church as well. So, so how many, uh, if I can put it in crass terms, I'm sorry about this, how many hours a week do you give to the plants and then to, to kind of other responsibilities? Yeah, sure. Um, so I give uh, between school hours, uh, Tuesday to Friday, Monday is Anna's day off. So I have more time on Monday to um, to give to church mm. stuff. And then, um, yeah, we're busy most of Sundays with various things that we do as a church. Mm. Uh, meeting or eating together or meeting people in the community um so yes yeah the largest part of my time is is given to church work yeah and how old is the plant now and how has this model worked through from kind of beginnings to to where you are today mark yeah sure okay so we're eight and a half years old um and we began very small there were four adults uh, myself and chris and anna my wife and then a friend uh, who joined us as well, uh, and our daughter. Uh, so four adults, one child. Um, and we've just slowly and gradually grown from there. Uh, we're still relatively small as a church, but over the years, people have heard about us, people who've been living in the village perhaps and not settled in a church or had a church background, but not made that a priority in recent years. So, um, yeah, people who lived in the village have come to be with us, people uh, some people have moved into the village and joined us as well. Um, so yeah, we're very glad for the way that God has graciously added to our number. Um, we've got to know more and more people in Hilton. We've got good relationships with um, various people. Um, yeah, lots of people, particularly over the last year, 18 months that we've um, come across who are in need, who've been um, yeah needing help. So we've, we've drawn alongside them and are trying to serve them and help them in that and uh, win opportunities for the gospel through that. Um, yeah, so um, we're growing gradually. We're investing in building relationships. We're uh, now working in the school, doing assemblies and mm. things like that. Uh, so various opportunities have come about, but um, we're also committed to being there for the long haul as well. Um, yeah, I'm sure in a, a place like Hilton and lots of other places similar around the UK, in a post-Christendom culture, um, there's not a, a ready group of people who are just desperate to to come to a church and hear the gospel. Um, I think we've got to take a slightly different approach now where we, we um, pursue that long-term work of drawing alongside people, 
building meaningful relationships with people and um, using those to um, bring the gospel to them. Um, so you mentioned the school. What, what, what kind of other things are you, you doing to do that kind of natural work of, of sharing yep. Christ just through the, the lives you're living amongst the people in Hilton? Yep, yep. Um, for us as a, a family with younger children, uh, the school run is a great opportunity to just get to know people. Uh, we've actively tried to join different groups in the village that already happen to draw alongside people, um, cubs and brownies, uh, football group, bowling club that I go to at the weekends, um, a dog walking group, pub quizzes, just um, rather than trying to start things ourselves, which would have been hard as a, a small church anyway with yeah. limited resources, get involved in things that are already going on to, to meet people in the village. Yeah. And you mentioned before that you're there for the long haul. Mm. Are you looking for the church to become a self-sufficient church that, that is able to, to pay you and, and Chris salaries as, as pastor and assistant pastor? What, sure. what, what's the trajectory? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, so we're, we're not against that if that would happen, but at the same time, that isn't our expectation. Mm. Um, just because in a place like Hilton, um, growth is going to be slow. It's going to be a, a long-term thing. Um, if the church were to uh, pay to support a full-time minister, minister, realistically, that's going to take years and years to reach the level of finances needed for that to happen. So it's not my expectation that I'm going to um, get a, a full-time minister's salary any time in the in the near future, or maybe ever, um, or, or maybe ever. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, we're we're quite happy to continue with being self-sufficient really in that sense because the need for the gospel work in that village is is far greater than uh, a need to to have a full-time minister's salary so you began eight and a half years ago and there was four of you and a child yeah what what are your what are your numbers like now i know we don't just want to talk in numbers but i think it would be encouraging for people to hear where it's got to but also a realism about how long it's taken to get there yeah that's right so we're around 20 25 people at the moment uh, we've had some people join us some people leave uh, in the last few years I think that's that's probably always going to be the yeah. pattern really yeah. um, and as a small church you you feel that uh, mm. there's great encouragement and excitement when more people join us uh, there's sadness uh, when when people leave the the highs are high and the lows are low I think yeah. as a, a small church so um, it's not always easy but um yeah, necessary, I think, to, to be able to start like this and continue like this. I was going to ask you about challenges and, and rewards, but mm. you mentioned highs and lows. So let's go with that. What what have some of yeah, the highs sure. been and what have some of the, the lows, the struggles been for you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, let's think of the highs, I guess. Um, I think the highs are looking back, recognising God's grace to us, the way he sustained us and mm. provided for us over the years in so many different ways, whether that's support from um, churches in Derby, the encouragement from being a part of FIEC and, um, yeah, the joy that that's, that's been. Um, I think some of the highs are just recognising some of these meaningful relationships that we need, do now have with people Great. in Hilton, the number of times we've been able to either share individually uh, the gospel with people or do that through some of the public events that we've held um so we, we do see the 
the benefits of that long-term investment in in people. Mm, mm. Um, so that that's been great. I think the the lows are that as a small church, you do feel quite fragile. Um, that was probably more the case in the early years. Yeah. Um, you know, if there were tensions in the church, or if there were arguments or fallings out, um, and couples or families left, that had the potential to really radically reduce mm. our numbers. Um, and although that isn't quite the same today, there's still that vulnerability, still that fragility. I think as a as a small church, um, I think one of the things I, I was going to mention was the uh, the benefit of um, plural eldership i'm mm. convinced of that biblically um but if i were to do this work as a, a lone elder and carry this burden myself and the weight of it with um yeah the vulnerability of it that would just be an unbearable burden really it wouldn't mm. be good for me it wouldn't be good for us as a family to be in it on our own so um but so you you would say from the beginning it's really important to have a plural eldership definitely yeah that's right i, I would argue that it's important because that's what the bible says anyway but um, particularly in a situation like this where it's small and it's hard. Mm. So all church work will be hard, but there's, there's particular pressures that come when it's a, a small church like this. And to have uh, Chris there as a, a fellow older alongside us, um, yeah, that's just invaluable, really. Yeah. This podcast is aimed at church leaders. There'll be church leaders listening to this. What, mm. what do churches need to be thinking about if they're looking yeah. at the areas around them and they know there are these areas of small um, populace, you know, between five and 10,000 people, little or no gospel witness? Yeah. What do they need to be thinking about? Why, why, so, so in your situation, why won't people just travel into Derby for church? Why not plant a church in Derby? Why, why plant yeah, one in Hilton? Sure. What, what, what do church leaders need to be thinking about as they think through where churches might be established and planted? Yeah, great. Yeah, good question. I think there's a, a number of things really to say on that. Um, firstly, uh, people need to know that you care about them. Um, they don't care what you know until they know that you you genuinely do care for them. And we're naturally going to do that most with the people that we live amongst. So um, having a heart for the people in Hilton is uh, much greater, much easier, more obvious for me than to have a heart for the people that live in um, Littleover or Mickleover suburbs in Derby where I don't live and where I, I don't rub shoulders with those people. Mm. Um, so there's something really key about living amongst the people you're trying to reach, uh, living amongst the, the lost that you have a heart for. Um, so that's why we, we primarily, uh, the majority of us live in Hilton, yeah. who are part of the church. Um, I think as church leaders, recognising some of these unreached areas around you, um, I think one of the key things I'd, I'd want to say is be willing to uh, be creative in thinking about what you could do, how you could get uh, plants to start in some of these places. Mm. Um, don't be, there's, there's nothing wrong with the traditional approach to planting and we still need that, yeah. but don't be tied to that. Uh, the gospel need is far greater than um, what a traditional approach to planting can ever tackle. Um, so we need to be more creative. We need to be able to work for easily repeatable planting initiatives um i think oftentimes that will mean um yeah thinking more about finances and uh, being willing for people to be more self-sufficient or bivocational to um supply 
more finances that families need mm. themselves. Um, yeah, so uh, and be prepared to start small as well. Um, easily repeatable, creative, flexible in terms of how things are, are financed. Um, and um, be willing to take a risk as well. Um, you know, there's there was no guarantee in those early years that uh, the initiative would be successful, that would be sustained, that would grow. Mm. Um, in many cases, that's still the case. Um, but actually, it's um, it's not taking a risk and failing that God frowns upon. It's, it's simply not taking a risk for the sake of the gospel and his glory in the first place that uh, is the thing that isn't good. I mean, you've got Luke um, 19 open in front yeah, of you there. That, yeah, that's, that's that, right. It's obviously really spoken to you in this. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so the the parable of the uh, the master who went away to become king and before he left, he gave each of his servants uh, a minor uh, value to, to invest. And when he comes back, he commends the first two servants. They've invested the money. The first one's made 10 more, the second one, five more. The one that he condemns is the one who didn't do anything. He was too afraid uh, he just to take a risk, basically, and and do something with that money. Um, so actually, it's it's not taking a risk, and even if it failed, uh, that's that's the hard thing. It's when we simply don't do anything, when we we're not even prepared uh, to take a risk in the service of God. So, how would you challenge reluctance? Because I, I mm. I'm sitting here thinking, wow. I, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure I'd want to take that risk. Sure, yeah. There might be others thinking that. How would you challenge me, Mark? How would you challenge others who are who are thinking like me? Yep. Um well, something we've been thinking about as a family over the last few days really is uh Jesus' call to take up our cross and follow him, uh, to lose our life now for the sake of saving it. Um uh, we've had a week where that's yeah, seemed to be the case really. Mm. Um yeah that's the life that Jesus calls us to um yeah as we as we follow Jesus who gave up his life um for us um so yeah there's lots of challenges uh, and sacrifice involved there's um and, and that's not just for me that's for Anna as well she's uh busy with her full-time job she's trying to serve women uh, at the moment there seems to be several women who've made contact with us who mm. are eager to hear the gospel um and we we want to do that um but there's various pressures on on time and investment in people um but we yeah the christian life isn't a comfortable life uh, we're not called to Christ, uh, to comfortable christianity i think um sometimes uh we can expect that in the way that our churches are in um if mission is all about perhaps bringing a friend to an event rather than actually doing hard things to actually do something creative and uh, take initiatives to to reach some of these unreached places. Um, so, yeah, I guess the challenge for us all is is to keep following Jesus, to take up our cross, to lose our lives, to be wholly invested in something that may well be hard, uh, but is for the sake of Jesus and, and his glory and the salvation of the lost unlike any ministry this is a family commitment yeah yeah that's right so yeah it affects affects us all it affects uh my wife in terms of um it, it's often harder being part of a small church not having that body of 
women around her who would naturally encourage and support. Um, hard for our children with there only being a handful of, of children and, um, yeah, not multiple examples of older children that they can look to as, as godly examples. Um, but at the same time, it's it's also a great blessing uh, knowing a family that truly is family, um, that we're in it together and, yeah, we love each other and, and care for each other. So, yeah, hard things, but but great blessings as well. Mark, thanks so much for sharing your story about Grace Church Hilton. It's just been fascinating to hear. And if, if the Lord is prodding you uh, to think about whether you might want to be involved in this kind of pioneering work in some of these smaller uh, parts of the country, but with these distinct communities like Hilton, uh, I'm sure Mark would be delighted uh, to chat to you about it. So Mark, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for joining me. and um, Thank you for listening. You can subscribe via all the usual channels uh, to Independence, the FYEC podcast, uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>